0: I'm very up for aliens I'm just I'm just are you going to talk about whether or not to baptize them Joe because I think that's like a that's a great question
1: uh, I will not talk about it <laughs> <laughs>
2: Welcome to the Advantes podcast. My name is Ansi Camel. I am the editor in chief of the Davenant Press and the senior editor of Advantes. And I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts, Colin Chan Redimer, the vice president of the Davenant Institute, and Reese, the Renaissance Man Laverty, associate editor at the Davenant Press. Uh, and today we're actually joined by a good friend of the the show, friend of all of ours, Joseph Minick. Joe, welcome to the show. And, Thank you, uh, gentlemen. It's good to be here with you
0: we should save Joe's also a teaching fellow at the mm, Davenant Institute. It's a big deal uh, well, so
2: he- I, I was going to allow Joe to introduce himself oh, Colin so my, uh, my apologies didn't mean <laughs> I, well
0: the, his, he he proceed you know his his uh uh his, reputation. his titles, his reputation—they you know, all go before. Onsi is
1: more elegant than me, so I was kind of hoping he'd introduce me. But uh, <laughs> should I should I say things or wait? Well, yeah, to, uh, yeah. Joe, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself, and
2: I can you know in my elegance fill in any gaps. Oh, thank you. I, think,
1: you I, I'll, I count on it. Uh, I'm a teaching fellow for the David Institute, uh, mostly mostly doing a lot of of writing and teaching. So I I write, you know, once a month or so for Modern Reformation soon uh, at Ansi's behest for our blog, because that's a a good idea to to write for for your actual organization. Uh, And I also (laughs) teach, uh, you know, I teach uh, three or four classes a year for Davenant Hall, I suppose my most distinctive thing is I do uh, I, I, I do our other podcast, which is more an interview-based podcast with sort of people outside our network, the uh, the Pilgrim Faith podcast, and probably my more, uh, I do that with Dale Stenberg, another teaching fellow, and probably my my most distinctive thing that I do with Davin, it is this little video series called A Plausible Faith, which is a, a kind of an attempt to sort of handhold people through a crisis of faith. Through, through, I mean, it, so far I've only gotten to things like the existence of God, but the goal is actually to, to eventually talk about even things like this. You know, o- little only the that
0: existence like, of God, Joe. Uh, yeah,
1: only, <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, there's a lot of, th- it's one thing. There's a lot of questions out there, uh, you know, like, in the, like this one. And so, uh, you know, and so what I try to do is actually just create videos that, that sort of rather than just sort of saying here's the answer to your question, rather say like here's the range of options, and maybe here's what a wise approach would be like to to weigh through those options, uh, and you know what we're in a, in a sense yeah. what we're doing right here.
2: Yeah, and Joe, Joe has written um, a wonderful, wonderful little book that is being used by colleges now. And, and I saw it cited in some fancy Ivy Press, you know, uh, publication recently, but, but called um, Enduring Divine Absence. It was actually the first thing I ever worked on for the Davenant Institute, uh, the first sort of like serious editing job. That It's
1: the first time I experienced Ansi's cruel red pen, yes. His beady eye.
2: It is a sharp and... Full of it. yeah, lots of ink, yeah. um, but uh, but no, it's it's it a throughout brilliant the little book, yeah, yeah, it's a brilliant little book, and and Joe, I think, has this, um, really unparalleled in my experience, way of sort of um, this kind of capaciousness, uh, of, of of mind, you know, he he, he sort of can can absorb. Um, everything from like the very, you know, sort of normal to very, you know, the heights of philosophy, but also kind of like the wackier dimensions of, you know, Joe is kind of interested in all of it and synthesizes it all and, and, and sort of helps all of us think through what it's like to be in the world as uh, modern people. And um, I think it's just an extraordinary service. So we wanted to have him on the show today because we're talking about aliens. Um, but um, but in, in the reason, the reason there, are, there are a couple of reasons, I know, very smooth transition, but there are a couple of reasons we wanted to talk about this. <laughs> Joe is
1: now not credible for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, Joe's already had an episode on conspiracy yeah. theories. So, <laughs> this is um, true. Okay. Uh, but we wanted to have Joe on um, to, to talk about this f- for a couple of reasons. I mean, first, I think um, there's been some really striking reporting coming out of the New York Times over the past couple of years. Um, All of these articles we'll make sure will be in the show notes. Uh, Reese will link to them. Um, But, you know, I mean, headlines like no longer in the shadows, the Pentagon's UFO unit will make some findings public like that's going to happen later this year. Basically, the Pentagon has this UFO unit that they lied about having. And it turns out they still have it. Um, And they've been tracking these unidentified flying objects, um, you know, flying over American military bases, you know, over American, you know, uh, uh, cargo ships, um, you know, I mean, all sorts of weird stuff, um, and no one quite knows what's going to be in that dump, uh, that but, data and dump. They um, also
0: did make a release, I think, in, was it 2018 or 2019, under the Trump administration? They already released some of this stuff.
2: Yes, and I think and, there's yeah. another one coming out later this year. This so summer. if you just, you look up these New York Times articles, you'll see, like, videos. It's very strange, um, sort of inexplicable, like, no one, you know, the Pentagon doesn't seem to know what's going on. Um, they've interviewed senators about this, they're concerned, don't seem to know what's going on. So, so that's just kind of one sort of thing is like, there, there really is, um, you know, I mean, I'm not saying like, there are little green men with big eyes or whatever, but, but, you know, so there has been some interesting reporting and it's, you know, kind of on people's minds. The other thing I'd say is I think, um, often when it comes to the subject, there are some misperceptions about, <laughs> um, um, the sort of status of alien belief, right? You know, I mean, a lot of people tend to think of it as like really fringe and weird, but you know, there's a guy, a, a, a acquaintance of mine, he's an astrophysicist and a professor at an institution that will remain nameless because otherwise Colin will mercilessly mock me somewhere or, in the Midwest <laughs> somewhere small in the Midwest <laughs> um, but you know he said uh, he's an astrophysicist all of his colleagues believe in aliens every single one he's the only the only person in his department who doesn't believe in aliens and and this is really why we wanted to talk about this subject because he remarked once that um, aliens are one of the few the few things where if he had conclusive evidence that they existed he thinks it might be a death blow to his faith and and i think what what he was saying is that he just he's not sure how to coordinate um the if if, if these were ever demonstrated he wouldn't be sure how to coordinate the findings uh, of of the scientific community with the truths of christianity as he understands them and so aliens i mean we sort of provocatively say we're talking about aliens but really we're just talking about um more basically how do we um, uh, synthesize new information that genuinely was not available to our forebears that, uh, that have implications for how we understand the gospel, the Christian message, and, and uh, Christian life? And so we wanted to have Joe on for, uh, to help us sort through all of that.
0: And having just talked about sex, I, I think this is, in the age of the internet, something which people in the pews of your churches, if you're a pastor or an elder at a church— People are seeing these things online. They're reading these articles. They're they're having these questions. Uh, here at Advantes, we think that the sources have a way to help us think through this in a way that could be caring for your parishioners. So, is that is that right, Anzi?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, so that's, Joe, that's exactly right.
0: Help
1: us. Oh <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean. You know, so I suppose it's a little bit of a free for all here. You know, I think there's a lot of things to say. I mean, I mean, the first thing I would say in our current circumstances, uh, the biggest thing I think we all need to sort of absorb is how little we actually know. Like what what we do, what 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 is hard to deny, uh, is that we're we're witnessing phenomenon that, that really are there, really are being captured. There's there's no reason to doubt that we're witnessing something that's very very strange. Um, and that very likely, more than likely, isn't from us. Um, and 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 then you know there there is of course one option out there. You know, as we witness these phenomenon, is uh, uh, is there the possibility that it's you know technology from another country or something like that? You know, yeah, China actually, and Russia a,
2: come up te- te- a lot. In yeah, technically an
1: option, but you know they we're talking about things that defy there are orders of magnitude of scientific discovery beyond anything that we're even remotely capable of. And so you would have to assume that, you know, massive scientific discoveries were possible and R&D and military development that, you know, would be just totally miss the rest of the world. And that's its own sort of miraculous order of magnitude unlikely as well. Uh, and so there's no option here that's that's non-strange. <laughs> um, and so if we were to sort of bracket that and then say like, what, what can we say minimally? I think what we can say minimally is, uh, uh, you know, our minds very immediately go to just sort of UFOs and aliens. Right. And and that, that is an option. I mean, honestly, like something like that is an option. Uh, but minimally, I think what we could say is something like uh, it does seem perhaps, perhaps to be uh, non-human intelligence. Like not, not that that's absolutely certain, but it's, it's moderately plausible that we're at least witnessing non-human intelligence. And once you just make that move, I think, to say non-human intelligence of some kind, you know, if you're a traditional Christian, you have you already have a box of, you already have a kind of box of candidates for what a non-human intelligence might be. Uh, and so there's and, 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 and this for our, is for our a,
0: listeners, that box coming from the angelic doctor. Right. So we're going now we're straight in Thomas Aquinas land. Yeah. Well, in the box,
1: the box, especially if you kind of factor in sort of this recovery and it's a massive recovery of the actual categories of kind of angelology and demonology in the in the in the late antique period and in the first century, Second Temple Judaism. You know the the spiritual world for them was not as simple as just angels and demons. It's a it's a more complicated phenomenon. Right, than there's that. A, a
2: hierarchy with t- all sorts of different levels, with and different relationships to on. embodiment,
1: yep. with different relationships to material. You know, to material whatever. And so there's a whole range of you know potential options there. Which and this is not to say what I what I want to say there is that's just one option. You know, really, there's probably you know a dozen options that are equally as plausible and and that don't aren't even quite as crass as like you know an alien from another galaxy you know whatever got on a spaceship and they spent a million years getting here or went through a wormhole it also could Although just Richard be
2: Dawkins thinks that that's probably how how humans came to be, so you know
3: how life came to be on Earth. Richard yeah. Dawkins has been cancelled on C. Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's Persona not, it's non It's uh, <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah, we
1: don't want to. We don't want to get sullied over here. Or Pyrrhus. Yeah, uh, 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 it's not that. Uh, again, it's not that. That's not an option either. Uh, the other. The other thing to say there, you know, in as much as we don't know, we can, you know, saying like we need to start with we don't know. We can expand that out a bit and say. Well, we also don't know what we don't know. And one thing the last hundred years of physics has sort of has sort of shown to us is that there's just entire dimensions of the way the physical universe works that are very strange, <laughs> that are really strange. And so what, what options can be sort of eked out of that that are, you know, I, I don't know. And so the, like the first thing to say is, and I'll say more, but I'll, I'll pass it off here just to have a conversation, actually. I think the first thing to say <laughs> is we don't know, but that there are actually... Options that have been around for a long time, candidates that we might plug in here, and we can talk about that a little more. Uh, but then there's, you know, e- but even the range of kind of sci fi options is probably a bigger box of options than our imagination is quite adjusted to.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a, a really helpful way of putting it. So there, there are a couple of things going on um, that, that I think maybe I can try to synthesize into a single question for you, Joe. Um, so we, we've talked on this podcast before in our secularity episode, if you're interested. You know, go look that one up. But we've talked before about how, you know, there in 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 the past and in a lot of circles today, although not generally elite, uh sort of sort of academic ones, there was this sense that humans um had a particular place in the cosmos, that humans had a particular place in the world, and that um our place was not there were things above us, to put it crudely, and things below us, right? So, we, you know, the, the the non-rational animals and the plants and the earth and stuff sort of occupied different levels of the ontological hierarchy. And the things above us, um, as you were saying earlier, you know, um, you know, there were angels, demons, all sorts of, you know, um, of powers other powers and principalities, beings, yeah, powers, principalities, yeah. and so on. Um, and, and so I guess, you know, one of the reasons I, and I wonder if you could maybe talk a little bit about this, that, that this idea, uh, that thinking about, you know, other forms of intelligence is so destabilizing to us is perhaps because we've lost that sense, right. That, that we're not alone in the universe, so to speak. Um, um, and so when, when, you know, other, other, things start impinging on the kind of human world that we've sort of come to understand as like the world, right. The, the sort of the, the, the modern world um, it, it can be very destabilizing and we have trouble coordinating um, those kinds of realities with, with what we think we know about reality. And I wonder if, 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 you know, humanity has taken on, I mean, maybe this is too, too an overstatement, but has taken on a kind of, um, Outsized importance in Christian uh, narration of, of the gospel and, and and the work of God in the world, um, and so maybe it's destabilizing for that reason as well, right? Like humans are supposed to be the the things. You know, what are all these other things doing here? Um, yeah, I don't know if that's And a they sort might of popular... still be. And, and, well, and we, we think... might still be. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and, and, and in fact, I think one one answer to that is is they they most certainly are. Uh, In some ways still like I I don't think it takes away the it would it would perhaps take learning a couple of categories to fully understand why this is so but it doesn't quite destabilize the centrality of man as much as people would think because the centrality of man I think in the in the tradition is not just a, a sort of you're the only intelligent species out there or the show is entirely about you it's a it's a metaphysical centrality which is interestingly parallel to something in physics sometimes people talk about if you look at the universe at a grand scale uh, and you sort of see what is man, you know, if you sort of take the, the the sort of, you know, man or the earth or whatever, and you sort of map out 10 to the 37 is what it would take to get to, you know, sort of the universe scale. But there's also the microscopic universe uh, and how, how far do you have to kind of zoom in from man to get there. And one interesting thing, even in science, is that there are debates about I think this is somewhat speculative, perhaps, but there's debates about whether man actually occupies a weirdly sort of central zone, even in that kind of odd register
3: hmm. but
1: historically that that maybe hmm. is a gesture to get us to what is going on metaphysically. Uh, meta- and I think often the world of physics and the world of metaphysics have a kind of uh, a, a, a resonance in some way in their in their in their in their interaction with one another. Truth has a funny and, way of doing that, Joe. Yes, and, and in the world of metaphysics, this is really what the centrality of man was always about. Was that man is this this and this is really Aristotle in a sense, right? Man is this unique, interesting s- singularity that takes elements of deep a deep, profound, as thick relationship to embodiment, but also to this power of intelligence which is uh which is uh demonstrably irreducible to embodiment. And I think I And I think when you, when you, and and now there's a bunch of things to say about that. Does it neatly carve up the way we've always done it? You know, vegetative animal and human rationality or whatever. There's different accounts of exactly how you can carve that up. But nevertheless, the centrality of man uh, was always on a different register. And so... And so uh, uh, one thing you could say is that, you know, possibly the central story is just rational animality. That's one that's one theory that's out there. And I'll just add to that. Nevertheless, and this is where somebody like, uh, you know, we might talk in a minute about C.S. Lewis or his his in some ways, his disciple, Stephen Earl Clark, the British philosopher. uh, you know, what what, what Stephen Earl Clark will often talk about when he encounters questions like this is, you know, there's the possibility, and I think this is cryptically entertained sometimes in the church tradition with a yay or an a, a sick et non, uh, but, uh, well, I don't know what the Latin is for or, so sorry about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, 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 uh where was I going with that? Oh, uh, multiple incarnations, like one a possibility. And you see this in Narnia, right? You know, there's the world with Aslan in it, and there's the world with Christ in it. He tells Lucy, in your world, I'm known by another name. This has always been sort of an option. And then there's just the option, which is more the Lewis and the Space trilogy, right? Which is that human beings actually still are in some ways the central story but that doesn't mean they're the only even inter kind of galactic intelligence and that's a and what Stephen Earl Clark sort of says in his books is something like it's not impossible (laughs) you know like it's not impossible that the whole universe really is about this little planet on this galaxy two-thirds of the way from the center etc and we shouldn't we still shouldn't actually dismiss that. And that the whole, you know, you know, who who knows? Uh, maybe not. May, maybe that maybe this will modify the picture. Uh, but it's, you know, it's again, when you add, I don't know what we're really just looking for interpretive options at this point.
0: Yeah, I, I think to answer the the question Anzi's asking, one of the ways that I, I wrestle with it, which is going to Stephen R. L. Clark, who, who you mentioned, Joe, is we have to have a thicker conversation and i I've, I've been saying this for at least a year now about what we mean when we talk about humans you know what is mm. a human and yes. uh, if you just say that humans are the rational animal and then you run into the the talking spiders of jupiter uh, you have to say <laughs> you know that the talking spiders of jupiter who can kind of work through the euclidean problems of what a triangle is or whatever like well i guess they're human um, so So somehow you have to engage in this larger conversation about what a human is um, to be able to position that human relative to other things, Uh, which, of course, doesn't mean that, you know, you don't extend ethical treatment to the talking spiders of Jupiter when you meet them. Right. But, um, you know, you, you can make relevant distinctions. Uh, Which is actually which I think the tradition has the capacity for. Uh, And I'll I'll just say one other thing from Aristotle's perspective to, I think, help us work through this, which which, of course, a a lot of these other thinkers are drawing from. We tend to make this really sharp distinction. There's humans and then there's animals. And the distinction is that they're not rational and we're rational. Um, Right. But of course, if you look at animals, there's a vast difference right, between the lowest forms of animal. Like, think about a clam you know and your dog or a horse or a bear or an and, octopus yeah or an octopus All right the distinction being they're not just um you know cons- consuming and sensing but clearly the dog has memory clearly uh when it it's sleeping you see him chasing rabbits right that's what my basset hound does every night uh yeah. and basset hounds sleep a lot so there's so they have they have imagination they have memory um they lack the rational faculty um, but you can see gradations inside of the the grouping of animal. And I think when we're talking about rational, rational beings, we just when you look at the Christian tradition, you realize, OK, there's a grouping there, too, that goes from God all the way down to, to us.
2: Yeah. And right. Colin, I think to your point, actually, I was reading some some maybe it was in nature. It was in some scientific journal recently, but but that certain plants seem capable of sort of um, more. um I don't want to say rational thought, but, but like planning and sort of, you know, certain plants will position themselves in, 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 uh, in kind of, um, advantageous ways relative to the things that they need, um, like anticipate anyway. It's very, very interesting stuff, I guess. So one, one, I guess, way of proceeding then would be to say, or to ask you guys, um, so we, we have animals, right, with varying degrees of intelligence um, or capacity for thought, whatever, however you want to put that. Um, we have humans who are, you know, as, as far as we know, the only rational animals, uh, that is to say embodied rational uh, beings. Mm-hmm. Um I, so, but, I guess you know i mean this this actually i I kind of have come to this problem from a totally different set of literatures if you look at like um philosophical ethics on like abortion debates. This is actually a, a one of the thought experiments mm. is actually about like what do you do if you meet a non human rational uh being and i right. guess so so in in that sort of in that sort of scenario. You know, oh, wait. How, how is we... that
0: attached to the abortion debates? Is the well, is the rational non human getting you pregnant? Colin, <laughs> no, no, okay. Something to you need to tell it? us, or...
2: Colin, this, is, yeah. this is this is this is the 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 second podcast in which you have made me a liar about my promise that we would always be tasteful. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's I, I it's, don't know why that came up. Why, well, why it, is this it, connected it comes, to abortion? It, it comes up because because the question is whether um, uh, whether You know, defenses of the unborn require um, a sort of speciesist, uh, a kind of uh, uh, sort of um, irrational um, care and concern for the non-rational members of your own species. Right. Over against. We all species. kill the
1: talking spider. I mean, frickin' Charlotte. <laughs> could go, I mean, like, right, crying right. out loud. So then the, the yeah. question is sort of if you invert
2: that, if you say, well, what about the rational members of other species? You know, the, 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 anyway, uh, I can send you some articles on it if you're interested. No, But but I guess the point is like, so, so, you know, in, in that sort of thing, I think a lot of people think, at least for me, when I think about like, you know, the possibility of other intelligences i feel this is like extremely destabilizing to my own place in the universe like how i sort of conceptualize you know who i am who god is and what god has done for me um you know so reese i mean do you have do you have thoughts on this like man in the pew
3: yeah well i mean there's there's a general return of interest to space and aliens um the the I think you guys have seen Interstellar, the the Christopher Nolan film, which you know the premise of that is our man stopped looking to the stars, um, and uh, that's a bad thing. And then they turn their attention out and they go out go out into outer space again. And we're seeing that happen now. You know, NASA are looking to finally put someone on the moon again for the first time since the seventies. Elon Musk, um, apparently, in spite of everyone hating him, is one of the world's most popular people, Um, and he has put like (laughs) I think more. I think he's put more satellites into space. On his own through SpaceX, yeah, than, and he just, he just won the new before. NASA contract. Yeah, exactly. SpaceX just won the new NASA contract. So there is this so. this popular kind of turn of interest to that. And I think I think I think this might be something. Alistair Roberts said people like Elon Musk because he makes stuff. He is a literal inventor. Like that's really cool and fascinating. Um, yeah, but so for us, I as thought Christians, it was because he cons-
0: tweeted about Dogecoin.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be either or you can love him for a lot of things yeah i, so, I, sorry, I, Reece, I like him because roll. he got married to grimes yeah um so there's for us as christians it feels like there's this destabilizing thing where we're kind of pulled down but i wonder if for the the person in the pew who's starting to have a re- renaissance of interest in this stuff um maybe the person not in the pew the non-christian that this actually feels like it's pushing them up again um, because it's taking us to the stars. Um, you know it, we're ascending. Yeah, yeah and it, yeah. Well, in Interstellar, it is a narrative of ascent. It's a narrative of leaving behind the dust of the earth from which man is made, yeah. of eventually becoming this five-dimensional being, apparently, um, according to Christopher Norton, where the fifth dimension is <laughs> love. This... It, it, so I wonder if... Sorry, I'll, I'll back over to Joe yeah, here yeah. again. Um, if it ties into what we've been talking about, not intentionally, but in our last few episodes, in some kind of narrative of, of enchantment or disenchantment that... Um, hmm we are kind of Mm. re-enchanting ourselves by returning to the stars. So the Christians feel like we're being pulled down into the dust Uh, again. uh, The the non-Christian world seems to be kind of enchanting itself out of the dust with this look to the stars. Yeah, Joe, what do you think?
1: I, I, I think that's fascinating. I mean, I think that's most certainly one of the things that's just fascinating to me in general is the way in which if you if you have the, say, philosophical materialism, anti-materialism debate at a merely philosophical level, the conversation goes a particular way. Uh, uh, but uh, if you parallel those conversations with what is actually plausible to people who write sci-fi novels, uh, what's fascinating is sci-fi very quickly becomes about it, even, quote, quote, materialist sci-fi, very quickly becomes just about as weird <laughs> uh, as, you know, any crit- Christian traditional metaphysical claim. So it's kind of funny, like, you know, it's very plausible in sort of atheist philosophy to think that this whole universe is a computer simulation. Uh, that sounds awful. <laughs> that's an awful lot like being created by an intelligence. Uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> interestingly, Christianity uh, as the simulation. And there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of little parallels there in the world. Uh, Stephen Earl Clark, in fact, has a book on the, uh, the search for immortality and and sci-fi novels. It's a great book. Um, uh, so there's, you know, there's the whole conversation that's very intelligent. How to, I, just
0: been, for, the, for the reader, listeners, I think it's How to Be Immortal. Is that, isn't that that... Yes, that's right. Yeah, how, like how to a, be man, it, a manual on how to be immortal.
2: We'll put it yes. in the show notes.
1: Steve, yeah. yeah, Stephen Earl Clark. So there's a guy who's, you know, thinking about these, right. But um, the, the enchantment element of it is one of the reasons I think that at least we need to be cautious. So this is where I think Michael Heiser and Jacques Vallée... And these people who've done a lot of consolidation work with alien narratives are important conversation partners. Because one of the things, Jacques Vallée really does not have any big bone in this fight. Like he's not particularly, I don't think he's coming from any particularly religious angle or anything like this. Uh, but but Jacques Vallée has a sort of, like we need to be cautious to see, just because they're not blowing things up or something like that. We need to be cautious to see uh, a, a friendship. Uh, and part of this, I think if you take the the notion of the demonic seriously, and again, you, I'm sorry, you,
0: just to clarify, do you mean we need to be cautious not to make friends with them or we need to be yes, cautious well, to I, try excuse to cultivate me, we, we friends with them? We need to be
1: cautious. Them. So what Jacques Vallée is doing is is matching both the kind of UFO phenomenon, but also the the abductee narratives. And this oh, is and also actually, in it.
2: Sorry, just just briefly, Ross Douthat had a really interesting column on how, um, you know, uh, uh, like theophanies and saints you know apparitions have sort of declined as ufo sightings and stuff have shot up in the modern era so So there's a this is
1: that yeah so this is exactly what valet argues is that something like this abductee narrative sort of thing sort of happens throughout history and it always and this is sort of valet's conclusion and this is you know a lot of collation of the data uh it tends to be in the manifestation of of what precisely would be quote quote to use Reese's term enchanting to the audience. And so if you're in medieval times, it's going to be a saint doing this, that and the other, but very often that sort of stuff put people in spiritual bondage, like addiction to, you know, Paul himself talks about, you know, Satan appearing as an angel of light or the, uh, you know, people who go on about visions and this sort of thing. Uh, and, and if you were to, or the church camp vis-
0: high. I mean, I, I think if, is, if you is were a really to position yourself to parallel.
1: a 21st century, or just you know, post 1860s, really, uh, a civilization as something that could help you and that you should listen to, you would manifest as a superior technologically advanced whatever. Uh, and the messaging and this is very often the messaging that happens in abductee narratives is very sort of like we're here to help you sort of one world religion you know this sort of thing and it's not uh again uh, we don't have enough data to absolutely collate these phenomena though it's it, it, though these phenomena certainly are making you have to go back to the abductee literature and relook at it and the abductee literature is already something that real serious just as Ansi said about ufo's real serious academics take the abductee literature very seriously like they don't just think this is a bunch of people lying now there's some some quote quote, scientific explanations for it but none of them are that elegant uh and the and the the messaging does tend to uh sorry sorry i'm telling my kid to go away because he's uh, coming through the back door uh 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 the if we were to collate the phenomena though the messaging is very interesting and it's consistent um it's consistent with with other things in history that would make sense if we take the the role of even if we don't want to call it demons let's just call it you know sort of sort of agencies related to humans seriously and i'll get back to the the spirituality in a second but the um Uh, So, for instance, you know, there's this interesting book that's floating around that everybody is like, this guy's a genius, but this is also crazy. Julian Jaynes, you know, the origin of consciousness and the breakdown of the bicameral mind. You know, basically what Jaynes argues is there's this period of history where it really does seem to be that people are hearing from the gods and then the gods go away and 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 so he literally has a theory of how consciousness was birthed in this period a a new mode of human consciousness was birthed uh and you know even dawkins since we you know let's 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 name the let's let's name the canceled uh even dawkins sort of says this book is crazy or brilliant but he sort of takes it seriously because there's real data here that you have to you have to deal with Um, and one option of course that's more simple is actually that um Pagan temples and whatever really did have sort of real manifestations. <laughs> People really were quote quote talked to <laughs> by the gods. I mean, this, uh, and is, then, this uh,
2: is the Patristic consensus, right? That, mm-hmm. that,
1: that yes. demons yes. are and is um, one,
3: one Corinthians. You know, that's
1: where the patristics... Yeah, absolutely. And when we look
0: well, at on, this... no, 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 no. We have to pause for the listeners. Just one quick second. Anzi <laughs> and Reese, both of you. Anzi, give us the patristics consensus. Okay. What did the you patristic... mean by that? Reese, tell us about Corinthians. So, so, so we're, we're in consensus. the weeds, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That's <laughs> fair. That's fair. So the patristic consensus, you know, is essentially that the, um, the things that the nations worshipped as gods uh, were... Often or generally, demons, right? That, that 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 there actually are these these these. Um, and and there's an evolution of the term demon, um, just so that our listeners are aware. It has a kind yeah. of neutral valence in. Um, Pre-Christian philosophical discourse, right? Like Socrates, Socrates had has a demon. Has a demon. The daemon, yeah. yeah the daemon that, just that, a spirit that sort that of tells him them. things. Yeah, it's a spirit that that sort of communicates to him from the gods and and so on. So so daemons, you know, demons had this neutral neutral valence, and then what happens within Christianity is that as the 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 fathers, you know, are engaging um and i mean participating in in regular culture of their time greco roman culture, they start coordinating what is known or thought to be true about the diamonds with what we know from the scriptures right and so so you see in the in the fathers that the demons um they're no longer a neutral valence uh they're these these sort of you know um fallen angels who are out to sort of um mislead and um, ultimately sort of destroy human fellowship with God and they do this by redirecting I mean they do this in all sorts of ways but but chiefly by redirecting worship toward themselves right so they they kind of and so so the fathers will say you know the the gods of the nations in the Old Testament and the pagan gods of the Greek and Roman worlds these are actually demons who have uh, you know sort of uh captured maybe an overstatement but you know have essentially sort of usurped the place of god within a nation um and so iconoclasm you know the the sort of destruction of idols was a you know a a way of sort of asserting the supremacy of the one true god over against these these sort of pagan pagan gods so that that's the patristic but but reese why don't you give us the bible
3: yeah, well yeah, the main main thing I mentioned is 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 is this long excursus on how to navigate idol worships and idol feasts uh in the 1st century. Um and in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20 Paul says, "No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God." And I do not want you to be participants with demons. So it's not just, you know, there's there's at some degree of remove, demons are responsible for people doing false worship. No, when you offer something in a temple, you are offering it to a demon, um, yep. which is pretty, pretty strong yeah. language. And you, can, and, you know, demons proliferate in the New Testament era uh, by the time of the incarnation for whatever reason we, that's a separate conversation but even in the old testament you know in exodus janus and Jambres, the um the magicians at pharaoh's court somehow managed to mimic some of moses's miracles um when the ark is captured and goes yes. off to the philistines god is at war apparently with dagon he could just be mocking a statue but kind of tied into this bigger story you know real demonic presence in pagan religions seems to be the biblical yeah. picture
1: and it's a it's an interesting realm. I mean, once we we admit the possibility of this as just a candidate hypothesis, there are you know there's a whole history of association between sp- the spiritual and water. <laughs> That's a very fascinating phenomenon, actually. Yeah. Um, also, a, a limitation of authority. So, like the, the you know the 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 classical biblical picture is that the Sinister agencies that are really directed under God's providence and in some sort of political arrangement really in whatever dimension of reality that works, Uh, you know, with the heavenlies, nevertheless, like you're only permitted to do a certain amount. And one of the things that's interesting about most of these kind of this isn't just true of kind of UFO narratives. Even the more plausible uh, kind of uh, this is this is where you're going to get really speculative and we could really get canceled. But if you really wanted to take other kind of let's not get
2: canceled. Can I just vote for not getting canceled? (laughs) Okay, fine. Uh, But but, just uh, a matter of time. But but
1: the the idea the idea here is, is that uh, 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 what's interesting about these phenomena is how little actually they seem to meddle with human beings. Uh, now there is the sort of like the one big one is actually the meddling with sort of nuclear sites. This is actually a very well attested sort of international phenomenon. Is 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 weird sort of uh, things sort of interfering with panels and in, 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 uh, basically nuclear well, sites. Well, and isn't
2: isn't that one of the key reasons people think that this th- that these UFO sightings could just be like Russia or China, right? Because they have this like inordinate interest in like American military and nuclear. Yes. <laughs> and well, systems. it's also, but
1: it's I think it's also international nuclear sites. So it's like. Oh, really? The world's okay. nuclear sites. And this is also makes people interpret, well, hey, they're here to sort of give us world peace or something like that. But of course, <laughs> if you're, if you look at the demonic as in some sense parasitic, if you could almost, this is a metaphor, not, not direct, not directly true. But if you look at the demonic as kind of feeding if you will, uh, on the world of mankind, then, then nuclear sites are a threat to them as well. So, I, you know, I don't know. That's, this is, again, very speculative, but it's not. But in itself, you know, meddling with nuclear sites doesn't necessarily mean you're... Well, uh, one,
3: uh, um, Go ahead, Reese Yeah, when we, we leap to the, you know, the developed, um, you know, alien civilization and, you know, the little green men and the UFOs. But thinking of Onsi's colleague auntie's friend sorry he says him and his colleagues all believe in aliens um i'd be interested as as to whether they mean that kind of advanced alien civilization or do they think we're going to find like microbes frozen somewhere on mars uh that seems far more likely i think even among kind of the scientific community that would seem to be if we're going to find anything that's what we're going to find we're going to find a few cells kind of frozen slithering around somewhere out in space um is that of the same magnitude in this conversation? Um, Is that, you know, would that destroy auntie's friend's faith um, if he discovered that? Or, you know, is that something we can be like, Oh God kind of cast a few cells out into space. That that's no big deal. And that doesn't undermine, you know, a biblical anthropology.
0: I, I had a friend once who, who asked the question of me, why would God, and he, he was kind of a vaguely Christian believer. Why would God create just such a huge universe? You know, it's just, there's just so much out there, so much. We don't know what, if, if what you're saying is true, why would God do that? And the response I gave him, I think still kind of holds if you find a microbe on the moon, uh, which is it's there, uh, to testify to God's glory and goodness. And, uh, and it's there to, to worship him and to be marveled at and wonder. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that that, that still holds, I I really think the challenge to Christian faith for me only comes up when you run into the talking spider on Jupiter Uh, and the reason being you have to ask the question, did Jesus die for the spider? You know, is this, is, I'm not, I mean, we I'm serious. Like that. The yeah, question yeah, sounds a do. lot funnier this, than, than, than it's intended to be. <laughs> is this my brother in Christ, you know, who I have to embrace with a holy kiss? He died sufficiently
3: baptized. for it, Colin, but not efficaciously for it. <laughs> <laughs> for our listeners, that's a technical distinction
2: in the reform. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh,
1: uh, uh, yeah, that's. That, that's really the money question, I think, for the average believer. And, and one thing, and, and I think the, the Catholics say and,
2: yes, by the way. The Catholics yeah, would, the, baptize the yeah, the, the, would baptize the alien. Thomas
0: Aquinas would baptize the talking spider of Jupiter. And,
1: and wrapped up in that is what is. Uh, What wrapped up in that is, is nevertheless, what does it mean to belong to part of the organism that is humanity? Because one thing that the biblical view, the image of God view adds to the sort of the definition of the human is that it's not rational animality is a is a is a kind of metaphysical capture of what the human is. But you add in the distinctive calling of man here, it's connected to place and and I think this is crucial and sometimes loss. one thing that distinguishes the angelic world from the human world is precisely the sort of the organic element of it. It's that there's mm-hmm. a human race, as opposed to you know each angel, and at least in Thomas's view, is its own species, as it were. Right, and so Christ. Christ dies in some sense for the organism, <laughs> in a sense, and in what? And so, when you ask what belongs to that organism, and I, and I think what, what I'm trying to get at here is like there's a metaphysical dimension to kind of incarnation atonement theory, but it's it's not really you can't really. Uh, uh, reduce away from that the historical dimension of it. Christ belo- Christ has come to redeem the race of Adam. Now, are there things that are in... Th- that's actually the most concrete valence. And I think, there, in principle, there's actually just nothing, and I think we need to say this for the average person in the pew, there really is nothing about the existence of other intelligences out there, even if it really is E.T., <laughs> that that contradicts our history with the man Adam and the, and the and the and the idea of God coming and putting on a human face and redeeming that race out of its fall. Uh, how does ET right. e. relate to that? There's a bunch of options about how ET relates to that, and yeah. and in some sense we're you know again Lew, people like Lewis and Clark are kind of playing with those options. But sorry, I think sorry. what would That's be dangerous—that's C.S.
0: Lewis and uh, Stephen R. L. Stephen R.L. Clark, not Lewis and Clark the explorer. Lewis and Clark, not Lewis and Clark.
1: Hey, check that out. That's good. Uh, 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 What I think we don't want to do, though, and I think what we'll be tempting to do, and this is already in the literature, the temptation is to kind of take incarnation and atonement and dehistoricize them and simply make them structures and see if the outside things fit in the structures. And I think that we need to feel the burden of keeping the atonement and the Incarnation firmly moored within the history, which is because history itself, the the process being right here on planet Earth, being just these kinds of bodies and people, having this kind of conversation is the canvas upon which God writes the, the notes of redemptive history. And so I don't think it's I think it would be dangerous to sort of overly abstract from that in our in our answering of these questions. Uh, and so, where does that leave us? Again, Lewis, you know that the options are either, you know, in, in the world of Lewis, you have you have species that just don't have a redemptive history because they don't need one, right? Because <laughs> uh, they don't or fall you, or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or you have, um, or you have, you know, the same sort of his, redemptive historical pattern, sort of multiply displayed. Another option that that Lewis none of them really get to is, is the possibility that the human redemptive history is still the history and that finding man, that man actually is the jewel of the universe (laughs) and that finding him, whether you be in a, you know, the the, the Bible talks about angels uh, being entertained as it were by the, by, by this story that is humankind. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that that extends to, To other other creatures, like the structure, the idea of that is not entirely impossible. That there's other intelligences who do see this weird little group of people on this little ball floating around the sun uh, as the central story, precisely because this is the place where God came. Yeah. So maybe you know. know, I
2: think I think that's 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 really really helpful. Um, and I think that that actually is a segue into the last question I want to ask you, Joe, which is, you know, you start talking about this stuff and very quickly it it becomes difficult to tell what is um you know uh sort of rigorous um kind of empirically tested, you know, serious academic stuff. And what's just crack pottery. <laughs> and, yeah. and and um, and most of us, I think, don't want to wade far enough into it to do the sifting that we need to do um, in order to make those kinds of judgments. So I guess well, my final question to you is just, okay, we've talked about aliens. We've talked about demons and angels. And it seems to me there are sort of two related errors and and we need to, to to coordinate between them. And so I want to ask you about these, right? I mean, it seems we want to avoid on the one hand, like the kind of like um, obsession with these things that you can see in certain, you know, maybe Pentecostal, you know, uh, circles with spirits and so forth, or the obsession with aliens uh, that you see in, in sort of like often like secular, you know, UFO and alien literature. But you also don't want to like completely just, you know, head in the sand, you know, none of this is, you know, any any good, um, or, or worth thinking about or serious or demanding of attention. And so I guess my question is, okay, how with all of this stuff floating around does, should the, the regular Christian, someone like me who doesn't really care that much about aliens, how should I live my life? Right? Like what is the posture I should take towards these things? And what is the posture I should take toward them in relation to my Christian faith?
1: yeah i think that's a great question and i think in some ways like it's the same posture you should take toward a lot of things and that is to say uh know the things that you know and hold on to those uh hold on to those the way you would as an ordinary christian in other words god is my creator uh he saved me you know through christ from sin i can trust him he can guide my life Uh, the history of Israel and the history of Jesus Christ and the history of this church or God's working through this organism that is humanity, that's just all still true. Jesus is still coming again. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) All of that's, all of the creed is still true. Um, And then I think what you do on the other side is you, well, like you said, you don't And this is sort of a, I think this is one area where kind of the the boomer grandchildren of, I'm sorry, the millennial grandchildren of boomer grandparents, uh, where we've learned a lot from boomer grandparents, which is sometimes we we feel the need to actually have an opinion about everything. And one of the most liberating things you can discover is that you, in fact, don't have to have an opinion about everything. And I think what that enables you to do is say, I can hold a lot of things loose-handedly. Like really, again, I, I'm kind of coming back to what I said at the beginning is just be comfortable with saying there are basic weird things about reality that you don't know. I mean, honestly, when we you die and you imagine the new heavens and new earth... The order of, wow, this is not quite what I imagined that you will likely experience is not less <laughs> than you having to adjust to whatever this is. You know, like there are aspects of reality that are difficult for human beings to fully process and imagine. And, and, and i just. And aspects of Go those ahead.
0: reality, which as a Christian, you are already committed to. I think that's yes. the, the key. Yes. Is like, exactly. If you're a Christian exactly. and you're listening to this, you are already committed to a whole. You know, whole host of things which we are so poorly equipped to grasp.
1: Yes, so we're we're really as a Christian, you should consider yourself actually uh, uh already ahead of the curve in a yeah. sense. Like You're, you, you already are think, well prepared. Yeah, you already think things are weird. Well, it turns out they are, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's and right. uh, and like and, that. and that's okay. So you 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 wait in a sense like. And when I I get back to that, then it's like there's a million things you can try and go figure out. And in an ordinary life, when you're raising children and you're an ordinary Christian loving Jesus and loving your neighbor, most of what you do is just figure out what you need to. And most people, honestly, right now at this stage of knowledge, don't necessarily need to go figure all this stuff out. What you do perhaps need, and I think this is true on a lot of fronts for Christians, is to have a a loose handedness with being dogmatic about what the actual kind of final word on things is going to be in that sphere. So you don't want to so this and this actually happened by the way in uh if you go read it there's an interview with a fella from the New York Post that just came out a, a couple a couple days ago where the guy that formerly ran the Pentagon uh, UFO uh uh thing. Uh, oh, okay. He he basically said uh You know, a lot of the research into this was actually prevented at very high levels of government and and in Congress, uh, precisely because they just assumed they knew what it was. Well, obviously it's demons. And, And his answer was very interesting. His answer was not, it's not demons. It's just like, well... There are demons flying in our airspace. And so, <laughs> so, so, the so you know, if there's demons in our there? airspace, we should know what they're doing. Let's get a pastor. It's kind of in funny. Here. There is actually like a Pray whole series of Jewish. Uh, you can go because of de- the weird association with demons and water. I was just reading last night. There's all these old kind of like folk medicine, Jewish practices or, or, or uh, first century kind of Palestinian practices where, you know, you kind of trick de- little spirits into the water in their little vase. And you'd, you know, drown the demon or whatever. We're not recommending that on the show, <laughs> no, but if we do, we'll market that. the vases uh, uh but yeah, uh yeah, yeah. uh so um yeah, yeah, no, okay, i i I think there's a loose handedness to be ha- like still be confident in your creed, there's no reason you shouldn't still be confident in your creed. And be loose handed about how this particular aspect of reality is going to be resolved, as you should feel about a bunch of things. Uh, yeah. and that's, yeah. you know, I think that's, that's the, the, ter- that's the position. And then, and then no, take comfort. Maybe the last thing to say is take comfort that like Christians actually have been thinking about this kind of thing for a very long time. This is not an, it's, it's a more intense conversation in the last hundred years, but in principle, Christians have thought of stuff about this weird and disorienting for a very long period of time. There's, And, and I think what's going to happen in the next 50 years is you're just going to see dissertation after dissertation after dissertation of, you know, all the medieval reflections on extraterrestrials that we didn't know existed. Because if you <laughs> yeah, dig in the yeah. weeds, you're going to find weird stuff like yeah. that. And like, there's a lot of, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of wisdom out there already. Uh, and just know that that's there. Yeah. God, God yeah. is ahead of the curve. So. Yeah.
2: No, that's 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 really helpful. I I like um I like your your sort of final word and just to, you know, put it in cartesian parlance, right? You know, those things about which we have, you know, Here's clear here. and distinct oh perceptions, some you confidence, get. you know. <laughs> affirm those affirm those wholeheartedly <laughs> and about the rest reserve judgment, right? That's that's yes. the that's the, the Cartesian principle, right? Reserve judgment. Um, but, okay, well, that's this has been a really interesting, kind of wild conversation, Joe, So I'm and you're just the man to have that sort of conversation with, so, so I'm really grateful to you for coming Thanks. on the show. I'll take and, that as a compliment for now. Uh, oh, of course it is. It's absolutely <laughs> a compliment. Um, and uh, I just wanted to, like, we're going to transition now to our What We're Reading um, uh, segment of the show, so... Um, We'll start with you, Joe. Uh, what have you been reading recently, and and uh, ha- ha- you know how has it yeah. been informing your your studies?
1: Yeah. So two things. Uh, I just finished a uh, uh, a weird little novel called "Running the Light" about a a week in the life of a stand-up comic in Denver. It's written by Sam Talent, who's sort of a traveling stand-up comic. And he wrote a, a novel and he's, he's a, just an extraordinary novelist. It's extremely dark. It's a little Hunter Thompson meets Ernest Hemingway. A very, very dark, uh, about, a, and he's a, he's just a drug addict. It's essentially a life in the, a week in the life of a drug addict stand up comic. Extraordinarily well written and painful to read, but also, mm. uh, I don't know the deep, a deep insight. What's weird about these kinds of narratives is they're often portals into your own heart. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's moved me greatly actually. And Dale Stenberg has actually been reading it. I haven't, I've gotten a couple people to read it. Uh, uh, so I don't know if that's one I should I'll just say not for children, not recommended unless, uh, uh, you know, unless you want to engage that kind of material. The other thing is I've been reading a, uh, E.C. Krupp's Beyond the Blue Horizon, and I'm just about to begin, um, what's the name of this guy? Astronomy in the Imagination by Norman Davidson. I'm teaching a course on, sort of related to Lewis, discarded image for Davenant, a residential course this summer. And so what I'm trying to do is find sources that help me become an exegete of the sky. Uh, because there's a kind of incuriousness in historians sometimes when you look at the ancestors' relationship to the sky, it's like, well, they're primitive, they needed to project things, and so humans make <laughs> yeah. meaning, and yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 that's why the zodiac right, exists. Right. And that's plausible because people are dumb about the zodiac these days. You know, let's not, you know... But, you know, there's part of me that's like, well, is it more complicated than that? Are there, are there,
3: is it yeah, more complicated
1: that was, than that? Maybe. That's
2: just such a funny throwaway yeah. comment. People are dumb uh, about the Zodiac. Anyways. Yeah, sorry, I like
1: mean, come on, you know, the horoscope, you know, I, I've worked at Walmart. I know how it goes. Like, <laughs> so I know, I know what the conversations are like. Uh, 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 and, and in fact, beyond Walmart, but the, the, the idea that uh, I, I think it's, Interesting, you know. So to sort of take the temple worship we were talking about earlier, I think it's real interesting to think like, uh, were the 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 were was this just superstition? And the demon hypothesis actually helps you say it wasn't just superstition. They really did see things. They were deceived very actively. Uh, and so when you when you give your ancestors a little bit of credit and think maybe this wasn't a stupid thing to think in the first place, like maybe it was a wrong thing, but not a ridiculous thing. Uh, it makes me want to kind of go back and really recover what what was the experience of looking at the sky and trying to understand it. Why did we look at just these stars in these patterns on these days and make these associations with them? And I'm just interested more or less in trying to capture the exegesis of that so that I can then go talk about it with people. And usually oh, what great. you're going to wind up saying is like, you know, some of that we know is wrong. And yet, there's there's kernels of an interesting way of relating to the cosmos there, and some truth, in fact. Yeah, that's, perhaps, that's really we good. Don't know how that's, to, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. That's yep.
3: great, Reese. What are you up to these days? What are you reading? I got a free book this week, which is always very exciting. Got um, my, my little. <laughs> if it's a good book, yeah, Well, I, it was. It was on my loyalty card at Waterstones, which is our big kind of chain bookstore here, every time you every time you every ten times you spend ten pound, you get another free ten pound to spend on a book. Um, so I always have a couple like in the back of my mind that like, oh, next time I get a free book, this is what I'll get. So uh, I finally got uh, the Cure at Troy uh, by Seamus Heaney, which is his translation of Sophocles' play Philoctetes. Um, it contains that um, famous uh, quote that. Bill Clinton used at the Good Friday Agreement and then Joe Biden very self-importantly adopted on the campaign trail about when hope and history rhyme and the tidal wave of justice rises up. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a um, good line. It's a very good line, yeah. yeah. Good line. Um, it was more about the troubles than than it was about Joe Biden <laughs> being Trump. Um, uh, yeah, just really... Um, Beautiful rendering of a of a of a classic myth, and you know, anyone like me who was raised thinking Philoctetes was uh, was Danny DeVito as a cartoon satyr uh, it will be very disappointed if they read it. But um, it's it it great, very good. Which Carl. reminds me,
1: Mars Attacks is still a very good movie. Just to Throw that out there. You mentioned Danny DeVito; yeah, yeah. it's a good source. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, i'm i'm reading thin de Cecile, Vienna by Carl Shorsky, and uh, the reason for this is because i I think i'm still helping joe he's teaching a course on modernity at Davenant Hall and i 'm coming in to, to talk about uh, modernity and architecture and yep. um various problems and possibilities that modernity That's offers. on Thursday a- the
1: 27th at uh, 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 6.30 He's CST. He's reminding me because I don't have it on my calendar. <laughs>
0: um, uh, and actually, I think, you know, Anzi and I keep going back into it, uh, back and forth about the nature of modernity. So I'm hoping that I can get Anzi to read it. But what are you reading right now? Because I know you're not reading anything that would help you understand the nature of modernity, Anzi.
3: <laughs>
2: no, I mean, I'm so thoroughly modern, according to, to Colin, that I just, I can't, you know... No, um,
0: that's I actually think that's true.
2: Yeah, yeah, Colin does. He th- he thinks that I can't read anything because of my my modernism. But um, Not no, that um, you can't read anything, but that you read
0: <laughs> it as a modern.
2: Right, right, right. Fun. I just I need I need Colin's mystical goggles, and then I'll be able to sort of read Aristotle as Aristotle wanted to be read. But no, actually, right now I'm reading um, Meister Eckhart. I'm in a. Uh, I don't know if I've said this before, but I'm taking a course on medieval mysticism. It's just riveting. Uh, and I've said this before, but it's riveting stuff because I was talking about Albert the Great, but Meister Eckhart is like one of the most interesting, weird, brilliant uh, theologians uh, of, of the Middle Ages that I've ever read because he's, he's a Dominican who follows Thomas Aquinas. So he's after Thomas and he's working with scholasticism and at one point wanted to write his own um, summa, but he abandoned that to uh, do scriptural commentaries and a lot of preaching. And so he's in conversation with um, the Dominican scholastic tradition, and yet he's not sort of uh, participating in that tradition directly. I mean, you know, um, his mode of theologizing is... um, so so I guess all that to say, like, you know, when we think of mysticism, when moderns think of mysticism, they tend to think of like, you know, intense spiritual experiences, you know, uh uh visions of God kind of really emotive. But that's actually a kind of romantic era uh re-narrativizing of mysticism. But 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 mysticism was actually a very sort of erudite um uh kind of um mode of theologizing i mean insofar as mysticism is a is is itself a coherent category um so it's been very illuminating to to read to read eckhart um so i mean he he, you know caution he was condemned but like so was everyone who said anything interesting in the middle ages including thomas aquinas as we've said before including albert the great um uh well actually no albert wasn't but Eugena was um uh, condemned. Everyone got really scared about Aristotle because they saw what how he would drive all of the church to heresy and then they backed off of that foolishly uh, once yeah. once Thomas came along. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to get Colin, a rise out of Colin. I understand the concern since I've met Colin.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. That's
2: exactly right. Uh, the church got Aristotle right the first time. Uh, <laughs> Apologies, I was so.
0: texting. I, I, I disagree with everything Anzi said and we'll, we'll talk about it in a later episode.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: very good. Alright, so today we're going to let Joe just tell us a little bit about about, he's already told us a bit about what he does at Davenant. so maybe Joe. I, maybe um, instead of giving us an overview of your ministry, you can talk about uh, for our spotlight. You can talk about. Um, uh, sorry, Colin. Colin what is.
0: I I I would prefer. Can I spotlight Joe? Joe Joe is a teaching fellow at the Davinant well, Institute. I,
2: mm, I, okay. Yes, you you introduce him, but I want to hear about his book. I want him to tell us about his book. So. We got to hear about. Is that what we're spotlighting? We're spotlighting the book. I was going to spotlight the book, but, but Joe
0: Joe. Joe is a teaching fellow at the Davenant Institute, and uh, he's he's something between a roving academic and a circuit-riding preacher, uh, and he makes his living by the support of listeners like you. And so I genuinely think there's very few places in the world that your money could be better spent to prepare the church for what's going on in the 21st century and help Christians understand the nature of their faith, how to respond, and how to advance the gospel. Uh, in in the anglophone world, so I will put a link to his uh, particular ministry in the show notes, and then I'll let Joe talk about his book.
1: Thanks. Uh, which book do you have in mind, Hansi?
2: Well, enduring divine absence. You know, because um, oh. it's you know it's been very popular with college students, yeah. you know, College curricula and and uh, yeah. So so
1: enduring so during divine absence grew out of a series of lectures I was invited to give in Rochester from a, from a friend, and it's it's essentially taking uh, uh, the problem of modern atheism and sort of sort of inflecting it through the felt problem of divine absence. So it's sort of saying, like, it really is for some reason for modern people hard to believe in God for the simple reason that you can't see him. That's not an airtight philosophical argument. Like, you can refute that philosophically, but it nevertheless bothers most modern people <laughs> that God's yeah. existence on some register isn't obvious in the way that other things are obvious. That is to say, it's the kind of proposition that you can doubt, even if, like, in some sort of metaphysical register, you have your good arguments, that sort of thing. Um, and I try to account for why, like, what's what's peculiar about that is it's, it's, well, it's not terribly historical. Presumably most people didn't have that kind of obviousness of God's existence in the past. And yet that didn't have a that didn't mean he didn't exist. And so I try to account a little bit historically for how that largely through the kind of rise of modern technology, particularly is used in a, in our culture, in our as inflected in a civilization. Whoa, sorry, my 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 uh, my my earphones went off. OK, we'll put those back on. Uh so I'm I'm trying to account for that and then sort of on the back side the the question is is well does this mean let's go back before the big bad technology boy came along and we had this problem of divine absence or should we look at this as you know it actually an opportunity in God's providence uh, to to appropriate and to relate to the Christian faith actually in a grown up and a deep a more deeply mature way, yeah. um, and so that's that's a very very brief summary. It's not that long of a book, but actually just as of this week, my um, I worked that out more thoroughly in my dissertation on on uh, on the rise of modern atheism. Uh, and just this week, unless they cancel again, uh, I shouldn't say again, they've never canceled, but unless they cancel, uh, uh, Lexham, uh, Lexum Press oh, congratulations. Uh, agreed to, agreed to, uh, publish my dissertation. I'm, I'm yeah. very,
2: very glad that worked out for you. Yes. Wow, that's, that's yes. fantastic news. Yeah. Thanks. So. so
1: that, that'll be, that's the more, uh, I have to kind of make it a little more accessible, you know, work through it a little, just to l- l- laymanize it, I suppose, um, uh, which is a good exercise anyway, uh, yeah. uh and then that'll be the more kind of robust analysis of modern technology and and also you know what's the nature of modernity and Christians within it, so very good my, well, our my listeners, weird idiosyncratic hot take about reality,
2: yeah, yeah, our listeners yeah. be on the lookout for Joe's books, and as Colin was saying, Joe's project, I think, is so unique because it's so attentive to the spiritual needs of of people, and it's so. Uh, nevertheless, engaged um, with the most serious um, uh, intellectuals and and most serious uh, interlocutors, uh, academic interlocutors that one could have. So he, he, he uniquely melds those two worlds. Please consider supporting him. Uh, definitely buy his book. Um, and it was just a, a pleasure to have you on the show, Joe. So thank you. Um, oh, Thanks. And uh, so if you've liked what you've heard today, please uh, rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps, you know, Apple surface our podcast more regularly for, for people doing searches and stuff. So we'd benefit it, uh, We'd benefit from it. And we also would appreciate any, um, any uh, you know, positive feedback or constructive, critical feedback you'd care to give. Uh, but if you just absolutely hated this podcast... Keep it to yourself <laughs> or, or send Colin an email. Uh, but uh, as always, we're grateful for you. Our, You're getting our an email from me, Colin. Yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, Joe hated his time on the
1: podcast. I hated my time here. Uh,
2: but uh, as always, you know, we're glad that uh, people are tuning in to, to engage in these conversations with us. And um, we look forward to uh, seeing you next week. So we um, we are the editors. This is the AdFontes podcast. And we will see you next week.